The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Metallica! Oh, that's right. Oh, great. So it's going to be one of those shows. It's going to be one of these... Metallica! Yeah. Listeners, if you don't know... Metallica! There's there's two shows... Two shows where Dave will always be useless. It's either after a Metallica show or after a Star Wars show. Um, if he if he did anything that involves either of those two things, um, Metallica he Wars, <laughs> Startalica. See any good bands lately, Dave? Metallica. I threw that in there for you early because yeah. we all know the Dave's Friday Metal Minute night, segment's coming. Friday night, July 7th, Hard Rock Stadium did, in fact, rock hard. Woo! And I was seeing Metallica. Did you get on the rail? Yes. You were up, up close. How early did you have to go to get on the rail? This time, not not as early as my like Minneapolis when I was uh, uh, online like at 7.30 a.m. because I had the whiplash experience. So I, you got we got early entry uh, down to the floor. So that was cool. I actually walked through... Some of the tunnel areas of the dolphins probably go through. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. But uh, no, no, because still the memory remains exhibit. So we saw like some really cool like photos, memorabilia and like platinum records. And actually I got to I, I posted some pictures. I got to hold like one of James's uh, ESP snake bites. One of the uh, one of his explorers sat at Lars's drum kit. Uh, just like saw all this like really cool memorabilia. Got some merch, uh, early access to merch shopping. No joke. Okay. This is why I mixed the words up before. Because <laughs> this was run by like a third party called CID Entertainment. I guess they do like events and stuff and special things. Yeah. Right? I don't know why you're getting angry about it. but Because it's awesome. Okay. <laughs> I get my my gear, my Miami sort of Metallica shirts. They have it like kind of because like, this is a stadium tour. So if they can do it, they have a lot of the sort of like uh, football team based stuff. So when I was at the New Jersey show... Right, they had color scheme gears for either the Giants or the Jets. You know, sort of depending, like the Ravens in Baltimore, so they kind of like purple Ravens gear type stuff. So they, on and they, so they forth. They played to the locality. Yeah, they yeah. were they were in Orlando on the fifth. I was kind of I was supposed to go to that, but I had to sort of sell my ticket to one of my uh, friends. Actually, she got snake pit and ended up writing an article for the So What Fan Club magazine. So that's pretty cool. So I kind of feel connected to that. But work and economics, I had to be a responsible adult, so I had to sell the show to Wednesday, sell the ticket to Wednesday's show. Anyway, all right. So they had a bunch of like dolphin stuff. So they had, you know, the sort of teal and orange uh, stuff. And it has 17 on it because it's near 2017. It has hardwire in the back. But it's funny because Ryan Tannehill's our quarterbacks, turns yeah. number 17 anyway. Nice. So we got that. They also had one with sort of like the uh, the circle, like the sun outline, but with like an M, like a uh, T, like aqua M going through the middle instead of like a dolphin. So that's pretty cool. They also had some like orange, white, and green uh, colored stuff for the Hurricanes. So that's awesome. Also, they had all the sports franchises. All right. Yeah, what what are you interrupting me for, you son of a bitch? Because this oh, isn't this Metallica is talk. Look, well, so we have Dave's Metal Minute later that's on. That's where I figured you were going to do all the metal stuff there. But that's there. Metal Dave. Look, oh, and you're saying you have to talk about it separately from Metal Dave? Are, are you, you trying to extinguish my segment, you bro? Sorry, you're right, Metal Dave. How, how about this? As a compromise, 
all right, here, here's my compromise measure to try to placate your metalness. All right. First of all, I, I do have one quick question. Uh, how many, what, what number Metallica show are, have, are you on now? Eight. Eight. That is your eighth. Very cool. Congratulations. Now, here's my compromise to keep us on track with the show. If you want to tell people about how they can rate, review, and subscribe and contact us, but do it with metal intensity, that seems like a way that we can both be made happy here. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right, you you scum-sucking dogs out there in the audience. Yeah, I see some crazy mother effers out there. You know what to do, right? You go on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. You search Break the Frickin' Business. Don't put the frickin' in there, all right? That's my you'll, you'll edition. You'll throw it off, yeah. And that's emphasis added, all right? <laughs> you squabby, you squ- oh, you, I don't even know how to insult you, you dogs. <laughs> you pe- you're my people, you filthy, unwashed masses. <laughs> We're all the same. You go and you search out Break the Business. You subscribe. That way, every single time an episode drops, straight from the depths of hell, our episode gets on your phone into your ear holes to blow out your freaking mind. And if you're thinking, oh no, but I want to listen to the Taylor Swift podcast, get the hell out of my office. You're up in office. Well, where are we are right now. Oh, fair enough, yeah. Oh, let's see. Yeah, yeah there's there's more. Oh, oh. Okay. You can if you've got a burning question in your soul eating through you like hot metal lava that's even hotter. Yeah. You email this son of a bitch across from me right now. <laughs> Breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah. Louder. Really? Do it. Hell yeah! Alright. All right, what else? Oh, I want to see all this action opening up on the left side of your earbud and on the right side of the ear. I want circle pitch in your earbuds, guys, and crowd surf down the middle of that brain hole of yours <laughs> and also pick up my buddy's audio book, oh. Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, you jagoffs, by Ryan Andrew I'm Not Metal Corella. <laughs> Read it. Oh, no, you're not reading it. The whole point is you're listening That's to right. it. That's right. Yeah, it's an audiobook. Crank that shit up to 11. Get out your Zippos. It's a lighter for all you uninitiated out there, for all the kids. You don't know what it's like to hold a lighter up at a show. <laughs> Technically, neither do I. I don't smoke. There's an, you know there's an app? There's a literal Zippo app. I've seen that, to yes. To put it on the screen to then hold it up. That's kind of pathetic. All right. Stay, stay, stay in the game. Stay in the game. You're pathetic. How about Twitter? How about Twitter? Oh, okay. Follow me at MetalDave85 for all your metal needs to get in that goddamn screen of yours in your hands that you should probably put down during concerts. Yeah, probably. And, and so you uh, can enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. Follow this guy over here at Ryan K-A-I-R. You always got to spell it out. He okay. cares like Satan does. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I rock ripped that. Well, oh. he, he cares a lot. He does. He takes a very interest in the human beings. You can't deny him that. What's happening? Okay. Uh, okay. I, I realize you interrupted my story. Yes, but only because we have so much stuff to get to. Before Did I do our the business with a good enough energy to placate would, you? Right. No, but that, that no, no. Having you doing the voice and talking about our content was me placating you. It wasn't your way to get back into talking about Metallica. We have things to talk about in this segment. 
Important music industry things. Any, no, we don't. Kind of important. Mildly important. Nominally important. Oh, DBAs. Yeah. Ooh. But we have a guest as well. And I dropped my glasses case on the desk just now. The only DBAs I care about are the devil's butt crack, asshole. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is it... <laughs> Is it tough when you want to make a joke, but you don't know how the sentence is going to end when you start the sentence? Yeah, whatever. You just power through it like power metal. Yeah. Like Sabaton. Anyway, to finish my story. Okay. I was getting all that merch. And no joke, the bag they gave me instead of the Metallica bag, which I thought because I've been seeing it the whole tour. It was Star Wars The Force Awakens Galaxy premiere, it said. Whoa. They actually had... A bag from obviously from December of 2015 for the Star Wars The Force Awakens. They just had it like laying around. So they figure, well, let's send the crew around the country on the tour with these bags. Either that, like, oh, we ran out. Let's send them to Miami. Well, so I had my Metallica merch in a Star Wars bag. And I thought that was cool. Right. No, that appeal. Oh, and sorry, because I didn't know. Like, I, I totally stepped on the best part of your story at the end there, because I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad you got to share that with us. And very, what a great opportunity for you because you're also a Star Wars fan, but how did it end up at a Metallica concert? I don't know. I don't work for them. It's just serendipity? I guess John Cusack was involved. <laughs> I thought I was going to get like a rim shot because that was funny. Yes, because that's how you get rim shots, by pleading for them. No, I just get them because I'm funny. <laughs> you are that. All yes. right. All right, good first segment. <laughs> no, 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 no. Our guest in the next segment is going to be Justin Locke. He's an author, a musician, a motivational speaker. He's going to talk to us about the science of creativity, finding strategies for success as a music entrepreneur. This guy has done so much cool music and business stuff in his career. He played with the Boston Pops at the age of 18. He's written two musicals. He's written five books. Dude has lived. Dude has learned. And um, we're excited to talk to him in the next segment. He's going to have lots of great wisdom to share with us. You know, you know what his uh, best friend's name is? What? Hobbs. Is that a lost joke? No. Hobbs Locke. Oh, Thomas Hobbs and John Locke. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. Old timey political philosopher jokes. Yeah. Think like what? That's 18th century political philosophy jokes. Right? Yeah. English political philosophy. That's, this is what people come and download us for. Oh, yeah. Come for oh, the music you industry. You thought I was talk. calling Jean Ro- Jacques Rousseau? You Philistine, you. <laughs> Do you have any more of those philosophers down, or or did you just shoot your lo- load there on those three? Uh, I don't know. I guess I have a wealth of nations worth in my brain. Oh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, Adam Smith. Ray, you don't. You don't. You don't have an Adam Smith tag for anything. <laughs> no, we don't. I mean, I a, it's, it, there's a dearth of Adams. I mean, what, what what Adam Smith sound effect? Like I can have people clap that you knew. Did you know who Adam Smith is? I mean, you can just have something that reflects uh, the marketplace economy. I'm just going to let that keep clapping. All right. Before we bring in Justin Locke. All right. That was a great first segment. No, it's not. I mean, it it, it has been so far, but we got to do a little bit of music business stuff here. Oh, so you're going to ruin the first segment. By by informing people, Dave. As you're doing business as. Didn't we do this? Did we do? DBAs. We've been. This is our 92nd episode, Dave. Probably. I feel like I heard Evan Probably. talking about this with you. I don't know. We've done a lot of episodes. This is not 92 episodes. We're in repeats. Look. Do you realize this? I'm, I've seen Metallica on this show before. <laughs> this is a repeat. 
It's like that SNL episode of John Goodman where like they're telling me this is a repeat from 94. Oh, that's funny. Remember that monologue? Yes, I do. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about DBAs because in the in last episode we talked a little bit about band partnerships and you know doing business with a group of people or just doing business as an artist and it occurred to me we should spend some time talking about DBAs or fictitious names depending on what state you're in they go by both terms but basically it's all about the name the legal name you use when you do business as a musician now here's the general rule and when i say general rule it's general cuz it can vary from state to state states are a little bit different you want to probably talk to a lawyer and look up your particular state law but here's the general rule if you are using a name in a business that's other than your own given name that's on your birth certificate, or if you are with a group of people and you have a band name, you need to get a DBA or a fictitious name registration for that band because you are doing business with a name that is different from your own. Like Bono or Sting. Actually, yes. If you are an artist and you go by a different name professionally and you are doing business with that name, if you're signing contracts with that name, you need to register that name. And um, thankfully, that's something that's easy to do. Uh, you can register for a DBA at uh, your Secretary of State's website, depending on what state you're in. Some states require that you actually publish a notice in the newspaper that your name is now going to be going by this fictitious mm -hmm. name when you do business. Yeah. I don't know why that stupid newspaper requirement's still there, as if some person's checking the local paper every day mm -hmm. to see that your yeah. name's in there, but it is what it is. You know, uh, Bono tried to do a side project once that really didn't take off, but a much more sort of slower, acoustic, more mellow, kind of uh, adult contemporary uh, band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he went by Mono. So slow, kind of lethargic. If you wanted to stay in bed for a month. Oh, very nice. Um, trying to think of like another one that would rhyme, and I can't think of any right now. Mm. Uh, anyway, continue. No, I want, I want to think of a... No, because you're stepping on the joke that I would maybe do this for the entire segment. Oh, very well. All right, so... <laughs> Wait, are there none? Um, and now you might be asking yourself, if you... If you are an artist and you go by another name when you're doing business, or if, you, if you're in a group of people that's going by the name of a band when you're doing business, you might be asking, what are the consequences if you don't register that DBA? Well, the contracts you sign in the name of that DBA might not be enforceable. Uh, if you try to get a bank account for your band, which is a pretty smart thing to do if your band's making any kind of money, the bank most likely won't let you just get a bank account in your band's name unless, of course, you have a DBA for that. And it can create a lot of tax problems for you if you don't have those things kind of taken care of. Now, here comes the next question. Let's say you've heeded some of the stuff that we've talked about on the show. You've listened to some people who say, hey, it's important for you to get an LLC or a corporation. And let's say you got one of those for your band. You and your bandmates, you have an LLC or a solo artist that has an LLC or a corporation. Do you still need a DBA there? And again, this can vary from state to state, but the rule generally is yes, unless you are doing business in the actual name, corporate name of your corporation. Like, let's say, like, give me, give me any random name for a band. Just any, just name a band right now. Uh, dog pus. Dog. Okay. If you have. Let's say you incorporate Dog Puss and you go by Dog Puss LLC. God, you're a freak, dude. 
Not gonna let you break me. If you are if you are signing contracts just as dog pus and you don't have the full LLC at the end, and you're trying to just to do business as your band name dog pus, in most states you need to get dog pus registered as a fictitious name or DBA of dog pus LLC. Yeah. You know the problem with that is though, dog bus is totally gonna come and sue you for like, you know, infringement. Substantial just, similarity. Yeah, yeah. Those guys those guys in dog bus don't play. That'd be a really funny case if it did go to trademark <clears throat> suit, and then you get like some kind of funny case citation: dog pus v dog bus. Oh, then you know who's freaking who's like trying to third party complaint their way in there. The religious, the sort of the multi-religious or pan-religious group called Dogmas. Dogmas. I knew that was coming. I, yeah. And I would love very much for that case to you know create some important precedent of trademark law, and then some you know old lawyer has to go before the Supreme Court. Frankly, the dog pus ruling has to be controlling here, Mr. Chief Justice. I mean, dog pus really just completely changed the doctrine, and we just need to adhere to dog pus going forward. Dog trend? <laughs> Nailed it. So, you had some sort of important thought about something? I've, I've been trying to, but you keep you know throwing you know dog pus wrenches. I think that's and everything. That, that's a that's a sentence you could have said since episode one. I've been trying to. I have been trying to, <laughs> but. And there are consequences if you don't follow this DBA route here. If you are not actually putting, if you don't actually have the DBA registration for your band name and you're not identifying that little LLC or ink suffix at the end of your name, you could actually lose your limited liability protection in contracts that you sign. So you really want to make sure you actually cross these T's and dot these I's. Getting a fictitious name registration is not expensive. It's a lot cheaper than you know, some of the other legal filings you're going to have to do. And it's going to allow you to do simple things for your career, like setting up a bank account. So uh, go ahead and just get that taken care of. There you go. See, that's all I got. That's all I got. Wow, that was shorter than last time when you had to have your goons restrain me. I know. Can, can I be honest with you? Can I be just real, real? I listened back to last week when I talked about band agreements. Even I got bored. Yeah, I can't believe how long that dragged on. That's why I was so, trying to like stop you, but the goddamn goons just kept on, uh, you know, trying to stop me. Well, I know they they work, you know, for me, and you know they do a good job. And thankfully, they don't question how long and boring these can be sometimes. So this week and going forward, I want to try to tighten the advice up. You know, less is more, pithy, succinct, and that's that's kind of what I was going. Listeners, for I am so glad you can't see the hand movements Ryan was doing with all that stuff with the tightening up because it was just awful. It but, was disgusting. Just, just stop it. You're massaging something I don't want to know. I do a lot of hand gestures when I talk. That's just you know this of me. Yeah, you're very handsy. All right. Justin Locke coming up next on the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He is a musician, 
author, and motivational speaker. In addition to playing with the Boston Pops and other orchestras, he has also written two musicals and five books. He blogs extensively on the subjects of music, creativity, business, and the arts at his website, www.justinlock.com. And you can find him on Facebook at justin.lock.author. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Locke is on the Break the Business podcast. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Ryan. I'm thrilled to be here. This is fantastic. Well, we're thrilled to have you. We rarely come across guests that have done so many things, has have, has had such a multifaceted career, and has just had so just so many adventures in music and the arts. Can you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and your background? You've had you've done so many cool things, and it all started when you were 18 years old and playing with the Boston Pops. That's a pretty good start. It was a culture shock, and I'll tell you, it's a little bit like parachuting in behind enemy lines. Uh, it's not like companies where they do onboarding and have you know uh, uh, the, the, these uh, meetings where they, they tell you what to do. Uh, when you play in the Boston Pops, you're on your own from day one. Uh, it's assumed that you know everything, so you just have to uh, you know, sink or swim in a big hurry. So anyway, I will get to give, tell the story. I, I grew up on a farm, and I went to Boston when I was 18. When I was 19, I turned pro. I, I got the call. There's this magical moment when you're a freelance classical musician where the contractor calls you out of the blue. And then I just I took the job, and suddenly I went from student to gigster. And that included after about six months. Then they said, hey, you want to play the Boston Pops? I said, of course. Uh, what's the Boston Pops? No. <laughs> oh, man. I told you I grew up on a farm. I, I, I didn't really know. And it actually helped me to not know what it was, because if I'd known I was playing in the most famous orchestra in the world, I might have choked. Oh, that's good. Um, but that's... as it is, I just came in and said, well, I played the notes. Where's my check? Hey. <laughs> and, and this impressed everyone that I was not <laughs> impressed with them. I, I actually, I've written a book called, uh, well, I, my two books, I, right at the start, Real Men Don't Rehearse, I've written this book, which every musician should read. It's, it's, laugh, it's laugh out loud funny. And uh, the other book is Principles of Applied Stupidity, which is how I bumbled into things by being naive and young and stupid. Uh, amazingly, that beginner's luck, it's actually, actually been scientifically codified. So... Uh, that is one thing that I that I encourage people uh, certainly to read the book and and help you along. Well, that's that makes uh, it makes perfect sense to me. It's something we've talked about on this show before, where sometimes when you're when you're young, it makes perfect sense to take advantage of opportunities, even if you don't think you're 100 percent ready for them. Uh, we've, as we said on the show before, if you wait until you're 100 percent ready to take advantage of an opportunity, you might lose that opportunity to somebody who's 80 percent ready and is willing to learn the rest on the job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had a, there's, I know people who spend their life getting ready to get ready and, and, and you're never ready. You're, you're never ready for it. You, you don't know. I mean, look at the Beatles. They weren't ready. They were, it's amazing. After they had a number one hit in, in England, they were still a, a warm up band for some other artist whose name escapes me now. <laughs> uh, a true story. I mean, following the story of the Beatles, that is just fascinating stuff. Uh, anyways, to keep talking about myself, and uh, so after I played Pops for 18 years, and then I got into, I was playing this god-awful kitty concert, uh, and, and I was just uh, horrified. They had Mozart's corpse was in, in the show, 
uh, and you know, just just really bad, just a horrible. And the kids are falling asleep, the orchestra is falling asleep, and I complained to the people producing it, and they said, "Well, you're so smart. Let's see you do one better." So, long story short, I wrote this show called Peter versus the Wolf. And if we want to talk about being your your independent little publishing empire, this started me off way back in 1985. My gosh, I was 29 years old, and I did not realize this was I, I wrote it to be done at Lexington High School in Massachusetts. That was as far as my vision took me. And then the Phoenix Symphony called me a couple of months later, said, hey, we heard you got this kitty show. We want to rent it. Uh, I, I didn't have anything. <laughs> it, was just a, it was a rumpled bunch of, you know, printed pages. This is before computers, you know, we just, you know, this is back when we used flint and, and stone knives. <laughs> Took you forever to chisel this thing. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you. <laughs> and to hire a whole bunch of uh, witch doctors told me out. And so I sent this, you know, God awful thing off to Phoenix and a, and a check came back for $500 and, and that the light bulb went off. So it's really if that's if we're going to talk about creativity, which is kind of the theme here uh, and this I'm going to combine this with Peter F. Drucker. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Uh, He's a business management guy. And he said the business purpose of a business is to create a customer. And rather than me, you know, uh, banging on doors saying, please, please, please hire me to do my kitty concerts. I had the exact opposite experience because I had done something that people needed. Uh, and that's really kind of the key here, you know, is rather than simply doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, I did something very different. And it was really brash to do what I did because, and I wanted to get into this <clears throat> before too long, there's a, and I'm going to, I'm going to ruin the story for everybody. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, Peter versus the wolf is the wolf's trial. And he claims he never ate the duck. And through the whole show, he goes, I never ate that duck. I don't know what you're talking about. And at the end, the lawyer, uh, he's pardoned. The lawyer gives him a big bottle of Maalox, you know, or, or whatever, you know, stomach medicine. And everybody walks off. He's been pardoned. He's been set free. Of course, you never ate the duck. We understand. There is the biggest belt you have ever heard in your life <laughs> comes over the sound system. I mean, it's disgusting. And at the time, I, I didn't really think about it too much. But again, uh, ignorance, I would not write the show that way now because I was like, you can't have belches in major concert halls. <laughs> and and that you just can't do that. There's a part of me now that knows I'm not allowed to do that. Well, it's like they say, you know, I mean, you can get to Carnegie Hall with practice, as they say, but you can also get there with belching. I mean, everybody knows that. Well, I, I, I'm in the Berlin Concert House. <laughs> the Teatro Municipal of Rio de Janeiro is the Carnegie Hall of South America. Uh, and, and there is this show that I wrote as a joke because I hated some guy and was bored. Uh, and, and, and every time that show's done, I just sit in the front row. And I'm going, how did this happen? You know, what, what What is going on? And actually, that's... Uh, I, I hate to keep going back to the Beatles because I'm just so fascinated. But the, but they actually were like that when they were in the realm of the Ed Sullivan show on these tours. They, they were constantly looking at each other, going, us four little guys from Liverpool? I mean, they knew that they were just four thugs from Liverpool. How did this happen? <laughs> Uh, but it does happen if you you know you just some if all everything comes together well, isn't it amazing yeah it sounds like one of the kind of what you're saying is that one of the best assets that indie artists have the kind of folks that listen to this show 
is almost their naivete. They're not in the system. They don't know what the rules are. And so they can just break them more easily and achieve things that more established folks might not have achieved because they thought, well, you can't do that. You can't have belching in a musical. Well, I'll quote Larry David here. He he once said that the, the show Seinfeld, it was fresh and different because neither one of them, neither he nor Jerry Seinfeld, knew how to write a sitcom. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the principles applied stupidity. It's a tremendous advantage to not have all of that uh, information making you feel. I see so many people who go to school and study and have all these advantages of education when, in fact, they're just acquiring uh, limitation and how to do things at the end. I do want to jump, though. No, jump around, jump about, around. Uh, go for it. Sorry? Go for it. Jump around. Oh. Well, I was worried because we delayed a week or two for this thing, and I was intrigued by the Top 40 music. And there's this song called Despacito. See, si. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar with this? Do um, you look at the Top 40 charts at uh, all? Well, we're based down in Miami, Florida for this podcast, so you cannot escape that song. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, I see, yes. It's, uh, well, I'll, let me, it's a little prelude here. I, I, I'm big into West Coast swing dancing. I have been for 25 years. It's, it's uh, you know, I have, I have to move around the dance floor with all these, you know, 20-something gorgeous young women. It's a filthy job. It's, it's a, a filthy it's, job. Sounds like a real Something, drag. Oh, it's horrible, but somebody's got to do it, you know. It's, it's my civic duty. <laughs> So I've been doing this for a long time, and lately the music has really been not as good as it used to be. I really find it to be. I was like, well, is this? Am I just getting to be an old, no, fuddy-duddy? But uh, as we, we talked about before, it's uh, and there's this uh, not to get well. There's this video on on YouTube called "Before the Music Dies." Have you seen this? I can't say that I have. Oh, okay. Well, you would love it. It's a lot of big name people on it, and there was a couple of people who said, "Why is the music on the radio so lousy?" <laughs> and they went around, <laughs> found all these big name artists to go on camera and and talk about it. And I think you already know the answer. Uh, you have these labels that are driven by quarterly profits. Yeah. Uh, and so they basically complain. They don't really answer the question, but I was intrigued that they were already articulating this frustration with this machine-made uh, sausage grinder music that's coming out and being promoted all the time. Well, and you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, part of that indeed stems from the consolidation of record labels. There's only so many, you know, you know, so much music is being put out by so few companies, and it's further complicated by the fact that you know, 90% of the radio stations are owned by a few companies, so they're all going to be playing the same stuff. And we have to look toward indie musicians to kind of fix that because we're, you know, they're ultimately they're not going to be the ones who are constrained by those same uh, business pressures. So to the extent that you feel like today's art is suffering from a lack of creativity, what can our indie artist listeners do to be more creative? to inspire that creativity in themselves. How do you uh, create, how, how do you get out your creativity when you're creating? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story uh, that I think illustrates it. I wanted to be an author. I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe some people want to be a band. I wanted to be an author. I had this vision of a house in Vermont with a picket fence and big publishers calling, you know, you know, vying for my attentions, you know, like that. And I thought, well, how can I get published? I, I'm, what I'll do is I'll write books that, that publishers want. I, I, that's how I, I, I wrote a uh, cookbook because I figured, well, there's lots of cookbooks. There must be a big market for cookbooks. Look at all the cookbooks. It was – every recipe served one. It was for you – know, it was called guerrilla cooking. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> I actually got an agent. <laughs> this is my first first book I ever wrote. I got someone that actually agented it for a while. So glad that didn't take off. <laughs> you had an agent uh, shopping around guerrilla cooking. All right. Yeah, actually, it actually worked, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I still refer to it. You know, because like I, like every recipe, because a lot of people, you know, those, those damn recipes—they all serve four or five people. If you're single, cookbooks are very hard to deal with. So I still think it's a great concept. And I tried writing a relationship book because I was just trying to get in the swim of what I thought bestsellers were sure. for a long time. And then there was this guy, I think it was Brickhouse Publishing. I, I forget the name, but it was, oh, I have a publisher on the phone. I said, look, what is it that you want? What do you want? I will write it. And I'll never forget this guy. I can't remember his name, but he, he said, Justin, you know, you've got this all backwards. He says, you have to write something, you know, that's special and new from you. And, you know, we can't tell if we knew what we wanted. It was that simple. We would just do it ourselves. We wouldn't need you, which is <laughs> true. And so then I, I wrote this book, Real Men Don't Rehearse, which basically was just me in a bar telling lawyers and doctors that I played squash with what it was really like to play in a major orchestra, which was so such cognitive dis dissonance from what the press office tells you. You know, I'm you know washing my shirt in the sink in the men's room and hanging it up in the HVAC hallway to dry it. This is the kind of stuff that what really went on. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, you know getting drunk and the you know all the beers we drank and the intermission and everything. Oh, this isn't what you know, oh we thought you ate ambrosia, but I was absolutely frozen, frozen. I had written the book. And of course, 2005 it wasn't so easy as they'd make it now on Amazon. But I was petrified. I, I was just frozen, stock still, you know, like that Dagger of the Mind Star Trek episode. I can't, can't do it. And I don't even know – I mean now I know why, but back then I didn't. There's tremendous conditioning. If we want to talk about my third, the third book, Getting in Touch with Your Inner Rich Kid, uh, there, you're, we don't live in a, in, a, in, a, in a benign, neutral environment. It's kind of like uh, if you think of power – as water sometimes you're on a lake and everything's still and it's not bothering you. you can do whatever you want but sometimes people who are in power well now you're in a whitewater river and you're the same person but the power around you has changed and so you have to constantly negotiate what the other powers uh, that be around you are doing to you uh, i went to this poor kid school it was we, they were conditioning us to work at the fiberglass plant uh and to th and we just be obedient to authority, be on time, get in a line. It was all to be a blue-collar assembly line worker. They didn't teach us anything else. Uh, and then I went to the rich kid school because I dropped out of the poor kid school. And what a culture shock. You have permission. You don't have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. This, this was a big, big cultural leap here. And these things are all internalized, whether, you know, you may be African-American or a woman or an immigrant or just, you know, blue-collar. Oh, I'm the first one in my family to go to college. But this element of permission, uh, it's arbitrary. It's uh, that, That's it. You, you just decide, I have permission to do this. I mean, it may rattle your skeleton from top to bottom to say, well, I'll write a song that means something to me. Mm -hmm. Even though it's absolutely, there's nothing else on the charts uh, before or after that's anything like it. And I've learned that it's not that people are unkind or nasty to you. They're just they're, they're just kind of slow. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> I mean, the Wright brothers invented an airplane in uh, 1902, and they had it up and running. And this wasn't just Kitty Hawk. They actually were flying around for an hour or two above this pa cow pasture in Akron, and they couldn't sell it. Couldn't sell it. No, uh -huh. no one believed that airplanes would work. Uh, what would you do with it? What, what the hell is that? It, it took five years for someone to say, hey, we could put a machine gun on that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what you're up against as a creative person is the, the dunning, the, the constant, uh, what is it, the anesthetizing of the onslaught of negative information. And people just have to anesthetize themselves just to get through the day. So if you're doing something that's really meaningful and artistic – uh, waking people up causes them pain. This is why we have so much opioids out there. People don't want to be awake. Uh, they they want to you know numb themselves. That's that's the key. And if you're a true artist, you're doing the exact opposite of that. So you're you know you're going to get rocks thrown at you if you do something that's truly artistic. It's, and that's that's part of the the job that of the job description. You you have to be able to handle that. So. And I've gotten to the point where, you know, I just don't care. <laughs> you don't like the wolf belching in the concert hall? Drop dead. <laughs> so so when, when you're saying permission and, and, and the, you know, the, this, you know, if we can, you know, bringing this to indie artists specifically, it sounds like a, a inner rich kid strategy that independent artists need to be endorsing is sort of giving themselves permission to not have to seek permission from others, kind of. Precisely. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the thing is, this stuff is it's ingrained in us at such an early age, and it's so ubiquitous that you just start to think that's how you think, and that's who you are, and that's your personality, when in fact, you were conditioned to think this way when you went to, you know, public school is not optional. Right. Yeah. You know, you have to go. Well, wait a minute. What if I want to go kick a ball outside? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Into geography class, you go. And, you know, bit by, and you start to get adjusted to it. You become an institutional man, you know, to quote uh, Morgan Freeman uh, in Shawshank Redemption. You just start to get used to the idea that, oh, well, but it is nice that there's this big institution telling you what to do all the time. Because now your life is simple and easy. And, and when you start bucking the trend... Uh, you know, you, you invite misery to yourself and all artists must suffer. Yeah. I don't know who said that, but boy, is it true. Yes, indeed. Uh, so well, anyway, you know, that's if, if we're going to, I mean, I have this wonderful opportunity here because really it's just, I, I want better music to dance to. <laughs> that's, that's why you're like, that's why you came on the show. It's your crusade yes. because you need something to tap your toes to. So you want to speak to the musicians directly. I gotcha. And I can tell you what you're what you're talking about is something that is absolutely an issue um, with artists. Because when I when I try to talk musicians into the into this idea that they don't need a label to achieve success on their own, a lot of their reluctance is that they've seen the artists before them do it with labels, and so they and they and they see the path there, and they see it's been mapped out for them. And they don't want to do something different. I, in my book, I talk about a story of when I was, uh, you know, about ten years ago. I was in Key West, and you know, they have a they have an aquarium there, and uh, they were talking about how a hurricane went through that aquarium uh, a couple years beforehand and had had breached a gate, 
that uh, had these sharks in it. And the sharks, because of the, the gate being breached by the hurricane, had the opportunity to swim out into the ocean and escape. And none of them did because they wanted to get fed four times a day. <laughs> and that's that's basically what happened here is, you know, in, in the music industry, the Internet wrecked the aquarium and, you know, made it possible for artists to swim out to sea and have freedom. And you still have many artists who are like, but I want my fish. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to get their own fish. And unfortunately, what's happened is that same hurricane that's wrecked the aquarium, uh, you know, that's allowed the sharks or the musicians to escape has also wrecked the aquarium. And now the labels can't feed you four times a day anymore. So you have to get out there. You have to go find success on your own terms because the old path isn't there. Oh, absolutely. And I think you will find, as most people do, as you think, I mean, Real Men Don't Rehearse. I mean, I sold about 15,000 copies of this thing. And... You know, which adds up, you know, because I get because I publish it myself, I get either four or seven dollars every time someone buys it on Kindle, hey, hey. Uh, which ka-ching, <laughs> you know, it's a nice little annuity. When I first wrote it, I was ready to give up 85 percent of the value of that book to anybody that had the word publishing house you know, on their business card. You know, you could have come to me, Justin, I want to publish your book. And I said, great, you know, just give me 15 percent of what you make out of it. Because that's the deal. Sure. That's the deal. I mean, I still you know, I get 40%, but still that beats the hell out of 15. And uh, the idea that there are these mythical beings off in the, in the, in the distance who somehow know more than you do, uh, that, that fond fantasy has been dashed. <laughs> I, just, I have been to the mountaintop, and I'll tell you, everybody else up there is going, I thought you knew. <laughs> Really, oh man, it, it really is. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you, you want to maintain that illusion. Uh, but at this point, I mean, I've just become so harsh with people. I, I, it, it's kind of a, I mean, I, I really self-publish. I design the covers. Uh, I can't get a cover designer to do what I want because you know how when you're in traffic and the cops are all wearing those bright orange, well, they're yellow, greenish vests. Sure. Well, there's a reason why they wear vests that color. It's because your your eyeball sees that more than any other color. That's that's the bright. It's bright. Right. And so, of course, real men don't rehearse is that color. <laughs> and if you go into a bookstore, there's all these beautiful burnt umber, you know, designs that someone who went to Rhode Island School of Design does on these books. But you can't read it. Because the the font they picked was such so narrow, but then if you just are gazing around, I mean, there's this big honking yellow. Real men don't rehearse. <laughs> I'm trying to sell something here, you know. I'm not trying to make a, you know, some sort of lofty statement. And it's really the the oppression comes in a strange way, because you, know, you see these college kids who are getting into this, these these protected environments. But it's protection at a cost. You have to become – you have to spout the dogma and, and believe in the system of certification. And when you run up against people who don't believe in that dogma, uh, you, ha you're, you have to go running back to the people who do because you can't uh, meet them one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I, I work now with people in the trades and uh, electricians and you know, just people who just are dealing with the customer directly. And it's not that hard. You know, the cold crew world is actually, you know, it's a bunch of people who are desperate for services. Yeah. And looking at your audience, this is another topic, maybe another uh, podcast, but 
the way you envision your audience or your readers of your book. I mean, that's know your customer. That's that's really who is your customer. Uh, this is a Peter Drucker uh, aphorism. Who is your customer? What do they find to be of value? And if your customer is specifically uh, 13-year-olds who have a lot of sexual anxiety, well, you know, that market is taken, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it's also like people say, I'm going to write a children's book. I said, well, you realize that Dr. Seuss is still in print. <laughs> Hop on pop, still crushing it, yeah. Exactly. It's, 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 that's what you're, you know, up against. Why don't you find, like I did with Peter versus the Wolf, this was an open market. Uh, I mean, granted, the show is pretty good, but even so, if you have a lousy kid show, you can still sell it <laughs> because there aren't any. Right. <laughs> just, nobody wants to do it. I'm just saying, why, why not do this? I mean, I, gee whiz, I get free trips all over the world because of this show. Uh, I might get to, well, I don't want to say it it's not done yet, but, you know, somewhere south of the border coming up, and I'm just thrilled to death. I let them, you know, hey, just fly me down, put me up for a week. You, you, you can do what you want. So, but it's kind of like, why isn't anyone else doing this? I just kind of scratch my head. But it's really, uh, I, I found that was true in music business, actually, in classical music. Mm. Uh, not that many of my fellow musicians wanted to be a major orchestra level player. They, they they dreamed about it. It was a fantasy, but when it came down to actually making it happen, uh, it was kind of well. At that point, it stopped. Well, you know, we're, I'm taking lessons. They they wouldn't uh, look at it harshly, and and this is something that that I think is made too easy for kids. You never get that that moment of, of having your 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 head beaten with a two by four with reality, uh, because you will survive it. You know, I mean, if you fail, that's another principle of applied stupidity. Go out and fail. Absolutely, you know, yes. Yeah, go out and fail. You know, I have failed miserably. I mean, you, I get introduced in these situations. Here's Justin, you know, he's the second coming of Christ. He, <laughs> he, he had all these successes. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's like 2% of my output. 98% of it was junk and failed. <laughs> oh, all the greats have far more failures on their resume than successes. I mean, that's always been my biggest, um, I mean, now we'll just, you know, because I work in education as well, and that's always been my biggest problem with the education system is it it punishes failure so rigorously. You yes. do an assignment wrong, they give you a grade that is chiseled in stone for the rest of your life, even though the rest of the world doesn't work that way. If you screw up, you can generally take another crack at it. And it, yep. and it encourages children and, and the rest of us to color inside the lines and not take risks because you just want to get your grade and not do anything fancy that might be really impressive but might also get you a bad grade that you're stuck with. And, you know, that's, it's, it's such a shame. And, you know, and well, I, will, I will interrupt and say this is part of poor kid oppression training. Yeah, there you go. It, very much so. I mean, people whose are big successes are capable of failing. I met a guy who was an MBA once, and I said, "What? What's the one thing about MBAs that that nobody knows?" I said that he said that we're we're stupid. I, I said, "What are you talking about? You run the earth. The people with MBAs." He said, "Well, we're all C students. There's no uh, A student in an MBA program anywhere. Uh, these are people who are used to failing. Uh, they're used to not having the right answer because these are skills you need to be the boss 
of you know you you have to be able to to cope with that and as long as you're in that mode of failure is so shameful i can't possibly do it you will never succeed big because you're not going to try big and that's really the, this 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 dangling this this fantasy that you could just go straight to the top without any failures it, it's such a stinking lie and it fails to it, it prevents you from uh building up your calluses really and and that's how you learn <laughs> absolutely and we don't really allow we don't allow kids to fail everybody gets an a everybody gets a trophy you know it, it i'll tell you i went to national music camp uh and i wanted to be in the world youth symphony orchestra and i didn't make it and and this hardened me <laughs> this, this put a glint in my eye that that failure that i never forgot and i'll tell you i that that propelled me through spaces, and you'll see this a lot in sports. People who are not that good, not that talented. Uh, talent is really a, uh, what's the word? Uh, an anchor on you because if you if you're used to sliding on your talent, when it gets a little bit difficult, you have no discipline in yeah. place to take you past that point. So. That's really uh, – well, we could talk about that forever. But again, I, I'm really into this education stuff and how the, the educational industrial complex is very busy uh, pr programming people to, to think of themselves at a certain level of success, failure, and obedience. Yes. Before we let you go, and let me just give you a quick plug here. You can check out more about his work at his website, justinlock.com. Before we let you go, Justin, uh, one last question to tie it all together. Do you have any last – tips for the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward it's going to be weird advice and it's a it's a big phrase from my principles of applied stupidity book which is embrace your inner idiot i think it was george burns as he was complaining about the loss of vaudeville he said there's no place to be lousy anymore you know it used to be people could go and be the be on the borscht belt in vaudeville and they could hone their craft before they got on the tonight show and you, you don't really have that opportunity now, but I, I think it's really kind of a contextual thing. And when I was a bass player, I, I, I had this shame issue going where I had this belief in, that I had to be perfect. Uh, and everybody else who had this shame was, oh, well, you played a wrong note. So I practiced and practiced like eight hours a day for, well, cumulatively almost a year in two pieces. And the goal was to get to the point where I was perfect and no one could wag a finger at me and say, ah, 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 you made a mistake. You're not perfect. Shame on you. Well, I practiced so much that I should have gotten there, but I didn't because it's not possible to do. And now when some conductor would say, oh, Mr. Locke, you know, you, you played, you know, a wrong note there. I just say, drop dead. <laughs> you know, you... <laughs> If if I can't do it perfectly, uh, nobody can. So shut up and wave your little white stick. And I'll tell you, these bullies, once you do that once, they never bother you again. <laughs> They're counting on your little you know, self-doubt system going. And I defeated that by just constantly you know, testing and testing. And I realized that you can't be perfect. Wow. Uh, that was a huge, huge art of artistic uh, wisdom that now when I write books, I say, well, it's full of typos. I don't care. You know, and how many people say, oh, well, that's uh, – oh, I, I have to tell you this story. There's a line in, in Peter versus the Wolf where the, the wolf – the judge says irregardless of the metaphoricalness of the situation. 
you wouldn't believe how many people would come up to me after the show and say, Justin, irregardless is not a word. <laughs> and I'd look at these people and say, but metaphoricalness isn't a word either. <laughs> what is your point? And it happened so many times. So many people have been shamed in school systems like irregardless is not a word and oh now I'm going to tell you as your fly is open. It was that kind of a, you know, Justin, you can't do that. Where do other words come from if you don't make them up? Nothing <laughs> <laughs> bounces off like like cannonballs off the Merrimack and the monitor. You know, it just doesn't work. But I finally got so frustrated that I actually changed it and I had the wolves jump up. And say, excuse me, Your Honor, irregardless is not a word. <laughs> and the judge says, don't talk what I'm talking. <laughs> I solved the problem. Because I got so sick of people thinking that I didn't know right. that irregardless is not a word. It was in there for a purpose. But anyway, it, it's uh, getting that artistic – if you're going to be an artist, you know, they used to call me a tango or the young artist program, baloney. And I'm keeping it PG here. I wasn't an artist. Being an artist is hard. You have to become aware uh, of who you are and uh, be aware of the broad range of your emotional uh, spectrum, which is huge. And being conscious of yourself and your audience, that's really what it is. That's what you're selling. That's the product. Uh, it's not to just heal yourself and get attention strokes. You are providing a very important service to people. And, you know, again, I am your customer. I'm on that dance floor. I need a beat. <laughs> huh? Oh, so really, that's your tip is make music that makes me dance. That, that's all I heard. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Justin. That's, hey, close enough. <laughs> that, um, fantastic advice. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. And uh, I want to have you on again so we can get more of these stories. I feel like we didn't really give all the things that you've done in your career justice, but we're going to have you on again. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I've had a great time. I thought that went well under the circumstances, given your, ho your guest. Oh, it was, <laughs> no, it, was, it was terrific. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Justin Locke for joining us in the previous segment. You can check out his website, justinlocke.com. He's got a great blog there. And you can find him on Facebook at justin.locke.author. That's Locke with an E. All right, Metallica! No, wait, 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 wait. I anticipated this. I had a feeling that you would just want a Metallica all over the C block. But, so, I want to kind of dig in. I just want to do, Mike, a quick little thing. Because I actually have a little pop culture bit here, and I want to sneak it in up front so that you can have the rest of the time to Metallica out because I know you're excited about this show. Think of it as like when you're at the grocery store and you got the cart full of groceries. I just have my one, and I, can I just get ahead of you with my groceries so that you know I don't have to what? wait behind you? That's what I'm saying. Screw you! What do you mean? You don't do that at the grocery store? Ex if you have a cart full of groceries and somebody has the one, you don't let them ahead of you? You go to the express line with your one. Oh... In your face! You didn't know. Right, well, okay, okay. Don't don't make it Publix then, or or, or a grocery store. Make it a Walgreens where they don't have an express light. 
You have first a come, cart first serve. Really? First come. Really? First come, first serve. We live in a society, man. Exactly. Social contracts. Exactly. You got to first come, first serve. Well, you're a jerk. And speaking of jerks, it's time for music jerk of the week. Ryan. And now he's it's the time jerk. For I'm going to talk over his segment thinking because he's being a hey, jerk right now. Oh, you're not going to hear Stewie because I'm talking over it. He's a jerk. Podcast. Can I play that again? No. All right, fine. Our music jerk this week. Ryan. Alex Trebek. Whoa. Alex Trebek. Step off, bro. So, you know how when you're watching Jeopardy, in between, you know, single Jeopardy and double Jeopardy, he'll usually have a thing where he kind of raps with the contestants a bit and learns a little bit about them? Yeah. So, he was asking about one particular guest on the show and their what she likes to do as a musical hobby, and he got a little judgmental. Oh, that's embarrassing. Hang on. I think it's very fun. It's called Nerdcore Hip Hop. It's Nerdcore Hip Hop. Yes. Um, it's uh, people who identify as nerdy, rapping about the things they love, video games, science fiction, having a hard time meeting romantic partners, you know. <laughs> it's really catchy and fun. Losers, in other words. Well, <laughs> I think... <laughs> oh my God, Trebek with the hammer! I mean, oh my God, that was so metal of Trebek. He's just like she's sort of in her sad little world, and he's got this freaking sledgehammer of death that just bashed her brains in on the freaking podium. No prisoners, Trebek. Are you supporting this? Oh my this? God, this guy is like the freaking Spanish Inquisition times ten. That is a jerk move. That is a jerk move. I'm, I never criticize people for their musical taste. Different strokes for different folks. And I, I don't think he understands his audience here. Like, the whole Jeopardy empire is built on a foundation of very dedicated nerds who have been supporting the show for decades. Really? And he's, you think it's more... It's, it's not, all nerds. People, it's like, not like older folks or people who, like, who think they know answers and want to, like, get on the show or be the, say the show. But the people who are actually on this show, the people who actually make it onto Jeopardy, they have to be nerds. I mean, you just, you're like, yeah, these are smart, smart people. And here he goes just shitting on a person with a nerd interest. What do you do? Like, that's a jerk move, Trebek. Do I know he's a real jerk? I saw a baby driver la- uh, yesterday evening at Sunset Play, and I hate, I really hate to be the back in my day. But God damn it, Ryan. When I went to the movies with my friends in high school, you know what I didn't do? I didn't talk. You know what I didn't do on my legs? During the movie. During the movie? During the movie. Like an asshole. All right. And just like talk about stuff and whatever. Oh, these four little brats. Really? I wanted to punch them all in the face and send them to hell. And this is Baby Driver. It just came out. So it must have been kind of a packed house. It was fi- not for people really, to do this, right? Really. It's 5.30. I was hoping there'd be less because most of the people are going to see Spider-Man. This is why I choose sort of matinee showings when there's less people around. Do you know the deal with these dickwads? Man. These, if you talk in movies, stop it. Shut up. Stay home. Seriously. Stop it. Did you confront them? I was kind of shushing, but, oh, you yeah. know. Was it, was it like, a, like a big one or like, like, like no, how, just, how do you shush at a theater? I don't, I don't like to have confrontations with people in public because we're in Miami, Florida, and you never know who has guns. <laughs> you could be packing, that's true. Exactly. In this whole country, I mean, li- babies have guns. 
Okay, babies also have driver's license to drive. Baby driver. Anyway. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's just like, oh, it's just no respect for the movie or the, the film uh, going audience. That's why I wish we had an Alamo draft house here in Miami where the rule is if you have your cell phone out, if you talk, you are thrown out by the usher. No questions asked. No second chance. Nothing. You're gone. Really? Alamo draft house. They respect movies. They don't deal with that shit. You talk in an Alamo draft house, gone. And also, if you're a man, gone. Oh, oh, bro. Oh, Alamo, Alamo Draft House misogynist is here. Oh, my God, bro. Guess what? I would, I, it's, it's, I, you know what I wrote the other day to the Alamo Draft House? I, I, was, I was really clever, bro. Uh, I guess you're going to have a babies only screening now, a baby driver. Huh? That's it? Only babies allowed? Well, I should qualify because I'm a baby, clearly, given my demeanor and tone and things that piss me off. I'm a big, giant baby that goes to, that's like in a frat. I may not be, I may be 35, but I'm still in a frat mentality my whole life, bro. God, why are women getting rights, Ryan? <laughs> Outstanding. Well, man, do you, so you think it's a generational thing? That like because you were saying like that this you know I don't want to get all back in my day about this. Like you think like the younger people are more likely to talk during movies? I mean, it seems like they've grown up with the devices in their hands constantly. There's always something else for them to do. There's always some sort of screen, which is funny considering the huge freaking screen in front of them. Mm -hmm. Man, um, I'm I'm sorry. Is it a good movie though? Like, were you able to Amazing watch enough of it to enjoy movie. it? Amazing movie. It would have been better without the noise, considering the soundtrack is great and what Edgar Wright did to meld it all together was amazing. Great cast too. Definitely go see it. Baby Driver. Give me the freaking Dave's Metal Midget music. You, you spoiler. Now it's time for Dave's Metal Minute on the Break the Business Podcast. Yeah. Metallica! Yeah, that's right. It is me, Metal Dave. I haven't been around here in a while. It's, it has been a while, Metal Dave, yeah. I have been scouring the depths of hell, waiting to get back to Ryan and drag him down with me and all of you listeners into our wonderful home of hell, home of metal, speed, guitars, thrash, and the music of the gods. Whew. It is wonderful to see you. It has been too long, and I know you are just fired up because you got to see Metallica at, what is the hell that, what's the stadium now in Miami called? It's not Sun Life anymore. They gave it a new name. That would be Hell Life. That's not true. What's its actual name? I know they just changed it. Hard Rock Stadium. Oh, that's right. It is Hard Rock Stadium. But this is Metallica. It's not Hard Rock. It's fucking Metal Stadium, bro. Man. Yeah, Metal Dave was representing the Metallica family in Miami, our hometown. First time ever Metallica in Miami since like 1999. But I, I, I didn't go to a show back then. I was too young. Yeah, it's, it would have been inappropriate, I think, for you know your parents to send you there. And now That's it's the time. Wrong sound effect. What Damn are it. you doing? Sorry. With my demonic soundboard. Here, you know what? Do you want to control the demonic soundboard so that you can have the rockers playing whenever you want? No, your lot in life is to be tied to the soundboard for eternity. 
It is a, a weight on you and your soul that you will carry around for eternity. Plus, remember, Ryan, if you think back long ago, I mentioned the demon that helps control it. Sound Bordicus. So when I messed up just now, that was actually Sound Bordicus? No, but he will visit you tonight in your sleep, Ryan, and bring untold nightmares into your world. <laughs> Like a world without DBAs. You can't stand it. That, that would be my worst nightmare. To think that artists couldn't get legal protection uh, when they're doing business as something other than their own name. That, that, is, that is my own personal hell. That's, that's true. That is really bad. Because, you know, people, they work hard and they want to make sure they have protections so they can get income and bring it home to their families and support themselves at the same time following their creative dreams and passions. Do you want to know what selfish what artists selfish kindergartners hate the most? What? Share. <laughs> wait, wait. There we go. Put that in there for yeah, you too. That that man, works also. Man, I, you know people don't really give your sense of humor enough credit, Metal Dave. What? Who? Name names. It's just, it's just people. Just, just who generally. are these people? Because people think of you as an aggressive metal guy, but you you clearly have a funny bone too. Oh yeah. A funny skull and a crossbones. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> right. Metallica. Yeah, Metallica. Blew the roof off of Hard Rock Stadium. Go there. There's not a roof. I mean, they have the hole in the roof, but I'm pretty sure that hole was there before Metallica was there. Nope. Metallica blew it away. Steven Ross does a lot of money there for no reason. <laughs> local reference. Yes. Very local. Um, but but for one night only, he was Steven Rock's. Oh, it's Stephen Ross. Dolphins I, I have no way, no way if he attended the show. Probably not. Anyway. I'm guessing he was very far away from it. Volbeat, first opener. Dude, I caught a pick from Rob Caggiano. Yes. You caught a pick? Yes. Really? From Rob Caggiano. That's fantastic. Formerly an Anthrax. I mean, did you get to, like, get it signed or anything? Or No. Because like, when you catch a foul ball at, like, you know, a baseball game, they usually will give you a certificate of authenticity or something. What? What are you basing this on? What happens? Look, don't be mad because no. you don't have any authenticity for your... You're just making a baseball stuff right now. That's true. That's absolutely true. Every single ball that goes in the stands, someone from the team monitors this and approaches the fan no, with they, a certificate? They don't go to the fan metal, Dave. The fan can go to like an office and you can bring the ball to them and they can like say, no, this is an actual foul ball. Congratulations. This is a R real thing. Ryan, I know I live in hell. And I am a servant of the Dark Lord, but stop spreading filthy lies. Listeners, back me up. Follow at Ryan KAIR on Twitter. That is, that is a real thing. That is a real thing. No. No. All right. Anyway, no, I did not get it signed. Was it was the concert well attended? I mean, did Miami because I don't think I don't think of Miami as a metal town, but did it they was well attended. It wasn't sold out like I would want because there's uh, some losers in this town, namely you. Wait, Were you at the Paul McCartney show at the same time at the American Airlines Arena? No, I wasn't at the Paul McCartney show. Oh, so you show. had no excuse, you bastard. What were you doing Friday night? I think I was watching Netflix. What were you watching, Ryan? I think about halfway in uh, season four of Agents of Silence! Silence! Season four. It does not matter what you were watching, Ryan. You were not watching Metallica. Well, then why did you even ask? I entrapped you. Although, if I had answered like a Metallica concert film on Netflix, would that have been better? 
I don't think through the never's on there anymore. Oh, they probably got rid of this. Anyway, Volbeat, great as always. I really love those guys. Really cool hard rocking band. Avenged Sevenfold next. Ryan, they were tolerable this time. You want to know why? Why? I had earplugs. Oh. Sorry, did you they... hit them both at the same time? No, you're right here. We'll, we'll, we'll separate them out. No, you, you there know... you go. Uh, right. What? What? Sound Bordicus is really going to give you some horrible <laughs> dreams. <laughs> some really nasty S- stuff. Sticking it to Avenged About Sevenfold. a world without contracts. <gasps> That's well, Now you're just going too far, man. Yeah. Like Lionel Hutz thinking of a world without lawyers. Ugh. <laughs> That's such, it's a really, really obscure reference. It's a very funny reference. And for the two people who've watched enough Simpsons episodes to get that, that's very, very funny. But for the rest of me, that's alienating Metal Anyway, Day. Ryan, hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me for such concerts as Metallica. <laughs> anyway, Avenged Sevenfold, uh, whatever. I, Metal Dave does not know how to get into these guys. They just seem to be. People seem to like them. I don't know why. They got off the stage. What's your... You know what? Just keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Sinister Gates. That's a dude's name in the band. We had this stupid hipster, weird, like, hat thing on. Like, the weird floppy hat thing that hangs in the back. I don't... Oh, God. These fucking assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Ryan. Yes. Metallica main event. Opens with Hardwired, of course. Dude, we got Creeping Death. They played Creeping Death on the set list. They haven't been playing it, buddy, all the time. So I got—I was so excited, dude. Are we allowed to sing lyrics on this uh, on this show? Uh, you definitely are not. I can't even say lyrics. No, you lyrics are copyrighted too. You've done ninety-two episodes of an entertainment law podcast. You really should know that. What if I speak sentences that happen to form words in the same order as song lyrics that have been written? No, I'm pretty sure some of our sentences over the ninety-two episodes have been a lyric somewhere, Ryan. Like, hey, how are you? Can you name one song that has those lyrics? I don't know. (laughs) No, you cannot sing from a Metallica song on this podcast. Don't do it. (laughs) You're already thinking about it. Fine, I'll just, I was chanting along with the Creepy Death going, Die! 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 During uh, the breakdown. Look, you were doing the devil horns just now as you were saying that. You got to be careful because that might also violate somebody's intellectual property rights, apparently. Don't. T- oh. Gee. Oh. Gene, what are you doing? <laughs> Satan does not like you co-opting his symbol. Oh, finally. We've been waiting for to get Metal Dave's thoughts on this. Gene Simmons trying to trademark the devil horns. Silence, Ryan. Back to the show again. Okay. They also played Battery. In the first encore. Oh, dude. Fucking battle right here. Oh, I just said the name of the song, Ryan. Is that copyrighted? I think you're okay. You and your goons can't stop me, Ryan. <laughs> anyway, an amazing kick-ass show. And guess what I also got? A guitar pick from Kirk Hammett. Really? Yes, threw out in the crowd. Got it. How do you... We, why are you just like a vacuum cleaner for guitar picks? How, why? How, how, like, when the picks come, Ryan... I throw off my coat, and my wings sprout out, and my talons go, and I yell out a piercing yell of demonic fire. Rawr! Rawr! The pick is mine! And I get it. Does he go through a lot of picks in a show, or are you just really lucky? I throw out picks at the end of the show. 
Like, wait, 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 wait. Like, does he, like, he'll go through a song and throw a pick? Or just at the end of the night, he just takes, like, 500 picks and throws them into the audience? <laughs> it's, it's funny that you've never been to a show. You don't know how things work. <laughs> you Philistine. That's accurate. Your, your lack of knowledge of, seven, of, six, of 18th century British economic philosophers and lack of knowledge on how picks are thrown. I mean, I, hilarious I don't want to tell you the last band I saw because just, it's just going to make you mad. What was the last band you saw, Ryan? A Band-Aid? Ha! <laughs> Puny weakling. Uh, I think it was... I saw Train. Actually, Metal Dave did a blood sacrifice to Metallica before seeing the show. No joke, somehow I cut my hand in my car, and it was actually bleeding quite a lot. I had to fix up with some gaffer's tape at the table and, uh, on my way into the stadium. Wow, I'm really glad that you just walked, just made that joke and just skipped right over the fact that I saw a band that I'm sure you hate. Metal Dave does not recognize train, unless it's a train going to hell. Or perhaps a crazy train? Driven by Ludivine. Bloodhound. I'm just ignoring your crazy train thing because you, you were stepping on mine. Anyway, Metallica was, funny was awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Metallica. Unfortunately, I got no more shows scheduled for this year. But rumors abound, Ryan. Confirmed by some pretty pe big people inside. There's an arena tour coming in the fall of 2018 in the United States, Ryan. Woo! That's fantastic. You should be there. I mean, should, I mean, I, I don't, uh, that, that doesn't sound like that's for me. Quick note, because usually Dave's middle has more than one story. Metallica was great. Awesome. I love it. Best band ever. If you don't like them, screw you. Ryan. Yes. On the previous Dave's middle minute, I said that System of a Down's working on new material for a new album. And I was really happy. Stoked. Yeah. It was like with the day I got my first pitchfork in hell. Ah, yes, I remember I was yesterday getting my first baby's pitchfork. Yeah. Really stab some sinners. <laughs> and train devotees. Oh. Well, Ryan, turns out they're lying sacks of crap. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! That's terrible news! Yeah, dude. The bassist Shavo totally said that new album is not happening right now, and he doesn't know if it's ever likely to arrive. Oh, what a kick in the pants. Boy, that was a... Quite a plosive there. Sorry right. about that. Kicking the assless chaps is what we wear in hell. Ouch. I don't know. That'd be tough with the pitchforks. Kind of the idea. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he said, I don't know why we aren't coming out with an album. It's very disheartening. Yeah. Especially to your fans. Yeah. That like haven't had anything new in, I don't know, since I was in college. It's been a long time. Since like 2000, shit, I don't know, like six or whatever. It's insane. That is pretty insane. And he even said, you know, we, we, oh God, what was it? What's he doing? And That's I think so we're really boring. doing a disservice to ourselves because you only have a finite amount of time, if anything. Chris Cornell passing away unexpectedly at, at any given moment. You don't know when you're going to have. So that's why listeners, you got to create, all right? You got to create right now or the creating's good. So you never know when Ryan's going to descend upon you in your sleep and steal your creativity like a succubus. What? Because you haven't bought his book and he's keeping track. Because Ryan is secretly a demon in disguise. It's okay, Ryan. I feel like it's time to unmask you. Boo. No, 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 buddy. You can do better than that. I know your true me your true name, Ryan. Your demonic name. Booktopolis. Booktopolis. <laughs> you sound like a city, actually. 
It does. But a that's a really just... boring erudite city. Oh, yeah. that's You are not one of the devil's main servants. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not going to do some devil yell. I'm not. It's going to sound really stupid. I'm not doing that. Probably. You'd rather have it within you, Ryan. That's accurate. I guess you're too weak, huh, Ryan? Okay, 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 okay. All right. Let me just... Can I back the mic up so I don't blow the listeners' eardrums? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Our thanks to Justin Locke for joining us this week. Oh, we'll you see you next week bitch. on the Break the Business Podcast. Metallica, all you people are hereby ordered and decreed to listen to Metallica at all times. If you don't, Metal Dave will find you. And Ryan's goons will be with me. Goons. Metallica. <laughs>